This is the TJ Show. How exciting is this? We get to talk to a guy named Forrest Galante. Hey, Forrest, are you there? Yeah, hey, TJ. How now, are you, buddy? So you were on a show called Naked and Afraid, which we've heard about on the Discovery Channel. I am so grateful I've never been thrown on an island and asked to survive or thrown out into the woods. I wasn't born with the name Forrest, okay? So I don't know that I'd survive very well. It'd probably end with you <laughs> eating me and actually knowing what to do. When you were on that show, you came out of it being labeled one of the most likely to survive in a primal way. Is that right? Like, what, what is that badge of honor that you have now? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what they labeled me from that. I know at the time I scored the highest PSR in the show's history to date, and PSR stands for a made-up uh, ranking system called their Primitive Survival Rating. Right. Had, uh, <laughs> yeah, I forget what it was. It was like, like 8.9 or 9.8. I don't even remember. It was pretty high, though. Oh. And uh, it was just because I was a happy-go-lucky guy who didn't think it was the end of the world to be hanging out outside. So, yeah, I really had a good time. And you were, were you naked on that show? Like, they actually make you get naked... And that is how it works. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. And you were okay with that. That's very brave. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about brave, but it was fun. So <laughs> were you afraid? Uh, there's not much to be afraid of. Oh, see, uh, you guy. were naked, so were yeah. you afraid? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. I was 50% of the way there. I was definitely naked. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I'm just grateful to know you. And if uh, the world continues to collapse, you're going to be one of the first phone calls. I have your phone number now. So I'm going to ask yes, you a sir. couple of questions. I did learn how to chop wood recently, Forrest. I hope you're proud of me. Wow, that's yeah. a big deal. That's good. Yep. <laughs> if, the, if, if the trees attack, we'll be safe. <laughs> what type of mental stamina do you have to build up to do something like that? Uh, you know, I don't really know if it's mental stamina so much as just having a good outlook on life. I, I didn't find it hard. I didn't find it difficult. I don't find long, arduous trips into the wild to be emotionally draining. I think they're fun and exciting and, and interesting and you know, my mindset going into Naked Afraid, which is a ridiculous thing, and obviously all the shows I've done since with Extinctor Alive and Mysterious Creatures and my various shark weeks, I find way, way more exciting and stimulating. But for me, it's uh, when it came to Naked Afraid, it was really the thought that you're never going to put yourself in this situation ever, right? And if for some reason you found yourself naked in the jungles of Panama, you'd self-rescue after a day or two. So to just spend 21 days out there doing it, I just treated it like a fun vacation. It's like, when else would anybody ever do something like this? Like, why not enjoy it? And I did. Now, when you say self-rescue, how does one just self-rescue themselves? Yeah, I mean, in a survival situation, self-rescue is to get yourself out of that situation, right? So meaning find a road, find a landmark, find help, and get out of being in some sort of situation that is leading to ultimately your demise. So, you know, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world unless maybe you're on an island hundreds of miles from anything. Uh, you can always sort of figure out a way to self-rescue. You can exit the situation. And in a show like Naked Afraid, you're not allowed to do that, right? Oh. You just have to sort of sit there for 21 days. Well, it must be nice to have the skill to self-rescue. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Most people who need to be <laughs> sure. rescued wish they had that skill. I took my daughter. So I was going to a party, Forrest, and we were running a little bit early. I was with my daughter. Mm -hmm. She's eight years old. And we see this little path to a hiking trail. And I go, hey, Charlie, let's go see what we got here. I walk in, I find some wild berries and I take a picture with the plan app. I'm like, whoa, we can eat these. I take one home. It's exciting. And I took two more steps in. I said, all right, let's leave. There's poison ivy over there. <laughs> We're not getting involved with that. Like I've become so dependent on the way the world works that like I just, I want to go to the smoothie shop and I want them to do it for me. Mm -hmm. 
You know, TJ, I think people always think, oh, you know, guys like me or, or the people that work in, you know, wildlife and adventure cinema and stuff like that. It's like, oh, these guys are so hardcore. You know, I, I would rather go to the smoothie shop than Bear grills it myself. But, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of being able to do both, I think. And it's balance. Like when I get home from an expedition, I want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and hang out. I don't want to be outdoors 24-7, you know. But at the same time, as soon as I've done that for a couple of days, I'm ready to get back out and back after it. So I, I think, you know, just take some mix. Well, it's inspiring, Forrest. And now you've got this YouTube channel. And we get to kind of come into your life and see what you do out there. Um, you've got a zoo at your house, something that... <laughs> Do you have the lions and the tigers at your house? No, no, we don't have a zoo. So it's like what? a petting zoo, if that. No, <laughs> oh, okay. it's not a zoo. Yeah, it's a self-proclaimed rescue more than anything. And it just started because we have a couple acres where we live in Santa Barbara. And, you know, anytime it started with chickens, right? It was like, oh, these chickens need a home. And we're like, oh, well, we'll build them a coop. And then before we knew it, we had a miniature horse and a miniature donkey and two potbelly pigs and way too many peacocks and some tortoises. And chicken so is that gateway drug when it comes to animals. <laughs> it's that it. gateway. Chicken, chickens are the gateway animal drug. But it, it's, really more, it's really more my wife and I taking pity on everything and just saying, like, we, if anything needs a home, we'll take care of it versus, like, trying to have a zoo or run a rescue or anything like that. But it's, it's amounted to way, way too many animals. So, so that's where we're as, up to. I just want to give you permission. You can call that a zoo. To the rest of us, okay. that, that is a Fair zoo. Enough. Yeah, like that's Fair what enough. a zoo right. is. It's a lot of animals. <laughs> I see you hanging out with all different kinds of animals like lions and tigers. I even saw you, I think you were eating breakfast with a monkey, like a little tiny cute monkey. What is the best animal to have as a pet? Is it a dog or a cat or is there a different animal that most of us don't have access to that is the best pet? No, it's definitely a dog. We've spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of years perfecting the canine to be man's best friend, you know, from throwing some meat out to a pack of wolves a couple hundred thousand years ago to making, you know, a puggle. Like we have done, <laughs> we've done it all. So really and truly, I, I don't recommend anybody do what we do. It's a pain in the butt. It's incredibly expensive. You know, you spend half your time running around catering to a sick chicken or a donkey that's got emotional issues. And uh, yeah, you know, it's not it's not like a great thing to do. We're just big softies. Whereas your dog, you know, you get the right breed for your lifestyle. That is the best companion you can have. He'll sleep on your lap. He'll sit by your feet. He'll go on the hike or the walk with you, hang out in the car. Like there is no better pet than a dog. We're on with Forrest Galante. By the way, you can find him on YouTube at Forrest Galante. He's got so many cool videos up there, all different types of animal interactions. Forrest, what's interesting is you've got a history in TV. You've done a lot of different discovery shows and you go down the list, you see your name on so many different animal shows. And now you've taken this interest. You have such a passion for your YouTube channel. What is the difference between doing these polished shows where, you know, you see Shark Week and it's got all the cameras underwater mm. <laughs> and now you're just, you're churning out so many interactions with so many animals on a regular basis. It almost seems like you're enjoying this in like a, a special different kind of way. Yeah, it's funny, TJ. Uh, you know, my, my team and I make the joke that every YouTube star in the world wants to be a TV star, and we're the only TV stars that want to be YouTube stars. And um, I, I think that, uh, you know, for us, it's I've been doing TV a long time. We've been doing it for 10 years now, creating these shows, you know, onboarding all the best people, great cameramen, great cameras, editors, producers, the whole thing. And in the process of doing a lot of television, you lose a lot of the creative control. You know, you get marching orders from networks. So we decided uh, halfway through last year, hey, we're going to do this on our own 
and we're going to do it on YouTube and we're going to bring the same production quality, the same incredible cinematics and get to do the things that we think people like, the raw, unfiltered, you know, fun stuff that doesn't necessarily have to have a giant mission and a giant purpose like a TV show does and doesn't need the force-injected uh, drama that sometimes TV requires. So it's just a much more real, raw, fun unfiltered look into the wildlife work that makes up, you know, 300 days a year for me. And uh, people are really connecting with it. It's grown like wildfire. It's growing several thousand new subscribers every day. And I am excited by it, way more excited than than doing television, to be honest. You can find it at Forrest Galante on YouTube. And it, what's your favorite animal to work with and get close to? Uh, it's cliche because it's what every wildlife guy says, but I think it's crocodilians, you know, alligators, <laughs> crocodiles, gharial. It's what Steve Irwin says, what every reptile guy says or animal guy says. But once you start working with these big toothy dinosaurs, it's got a sex appeal that's hard to beat. <laughs> now, y- you just mentioned Steve Irwin, who's one of my favorite. I-, I mean, I grew up watching him and I was so heartbroken when sure. he came to the end of his life and it was by this horrible accident that happened underwater. Do you ever worry about that unknown chance factor that you could get hurt being so close to these animals? Like, how do you constantly go day after day around these really dangerous animals? And what protective measures do you put up so you're not in a situation like that where something catches you by surprise? Yeah, well, good question. I mean, you know, when you work in an unpredictable field, things happen, you know, and and worrying about getting hurt, especially now that I have a family, is something I have to consider more. But Mm. Look, I've been bitten by a shark twice. I've been in a plane crash. I've been mauled by a lion. I've been bitten by a venomous snake and put in a coma. And the list goes on and on and on. And so anytime something like this happens, right up until you know March of this year when I thought I had accidentally killed myself by rubbing sea snake venom in my eye, you realize, was it the sea snake's fault in that situation? And neither were any of these other situations. I'm the one grabbing the sea snake and taking venom from him. And if I make the mistake by slipping up or rubbing my eyes or whatever it happens to be, that is, a, that is a risk that I have calculated on my own. And if I've made the mistake, that is entirely up to me. And it's not the animal's fault. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, is that more dangerous than driving on the 405 to work every day? Mm, statistically, it's not, you no. know, but uh, it, it's just, it's a calculated risk and I choose to take them. And I, I don't think it's something for everybody, but if anything were to ever happen that were detrimental, I would be the only one to blame. Mm. Now, Forrest, you have spent some time in the Everglades down in Florida, and you just mentioned that gators are like that sexy species for you that you really enjoy working with. Um, Mm -hmm. Pythons are invasive species in Florida. So there's this whole python alligator battle down there. Mm -hmm. When it comes down to it, who is winning that battle? You know, it's sort of leveled off. With the Burmese pythons, it seemed like they were really winning the battle and they were out of control. And they are still reproducing at a rate that is pretty uncontrollable. But in the, in the beginning, we thought that they were going to completely destroy the Everglades. They did something like an 80% reduction in mesopredators like raccoons and possums and things like oh, that. Wow. So that yeah. was really dire. But what we've seen most recently is that a lot of these animals are adapting to the presence of Burmese pythons. So they're learning to avoid them. They're learning to stay away from them. And it seems to have leveled off a little bit. But at the end of the day, the native wildlife are the losers. They're the ones losing from our mistake, which is introducing these Burmese pythons. Who would you say is stronger, the gator or the snake? Definitely the snakes, unfortunately. Oh, you know, a, that's wild. A big, a big Burmese python, <laughs> uh, there's not much that any animal in the Everglades can combat it, it with. It could eat an alligator? 
Absolutely. And what? they do quite regularly. Yeah. I didn't, they don't report that in the stories. I just, <laughs> no wonder why we see these guys who are like jumping on top of these 19 feet right. long burbies. And some people actually in the comments have the audacity to say the poor snake. It's like, guys, the no. snake is yeah. eating alligators. Right. Let them catch them and put them on the wall. <laughs> A hundred percent. Those snakes need I to be removed. I nice and it's shoes not- with them, that snake skin, you know? <laughs> and it's not the snake's fault, you know? We put them there, but at the end of the day, they don't belong there, so they got to go. Forrest Galante, it's so great to talk to you, and thank you for taking so much time to chat. I love animal questions. I could talk to you all day. I mean, <laughs> this is just so fun. So hopefully we could do this again at some point. Go follow Forrest on YouTube, at Forrest Galante, and we just appreciate your time. Keep up the great work you're doing. Thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to doing it again. This is the TJ Show. Now, I'm not telling you to just say no to every party you're invited to. However, there's a study that just came out that is very fascinating to me about the power of no when it comes to saying no to those holiday parties that you just, you really don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. They did this really cool research. I'm going to read this to you so you can just say no and not feel bad about it. (laughs) This new study finds that politely declining unwanted invitations during the holiday season has a bigger positive impact on your mental health over dragging yourself to countless gatherings that you may not want to attend in the first place. So here we think... I like it already. Well, if I don't go to this party, it's going to be horrible for me. They're going to think they're not going to be my friend anymore. Mm -hmm. Go down the list, the stories that we create in our head. They're saying that that's way less damaging than actually going to all these parties that you feel like you have to go to. It doesn't mean you don't like the people. It's just how many parties can we possibly go to? Way less damaging on yourself and possibly on the relationship because I know when I go to something that I don't really want to go to, I have an entire attitude while I'm there, no matter how hard I try not to have one. Yeah. Thankfully, you've always been a great mood at my house. Well, yeah, I want to go. I want to be at your house. (laughs) So more than three quarters of the people surveyed confess that they accept invitations to gatherings that they don't want to attend out of fear of being judged for declining. Mm. But what's interesting is the researchers found that loved ones don't actually care as much about your rejected invitation as we think they do. One of the doctors who conducted the study said, across our experiments, we consistently found that invitees overestimate the negative ramifications that will arise in the eyes of the inviters following an invitation decline. People tend to exaggerate. I mean, can we relate to that? Our exaggerating yes, thoughts? amen to that. Like, I've made myself sick just thinking like, oh my gosh, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? You know, what, what am I going to tell them when they see me next time or when they call me? Just... What excuse do I need to make up? Nothing. Just say, hey, I'm not, I'm not really down for it. Right. And I would also add in, and I know this isn't their research, but it's just my life research. If someone's weird enough to write you off because of that, do you really need them in your life? Do you exactly. want them? Do you really want to be hanging around mm-hmm. a person like that? No, I don't think so. Saying no more often can also be beneficial to avoid burnout. I mean, think what time of year is there more burnout than this time of year? The authors of this study also said burnout's a real thing, especially around the holidays. Don't be afraid to turn down invitations here and there. However, keep in mind, spending time with others is how relationships develop. So don't decline every invitation, which, you know, you decline one or two. You're like, oh, this is easy. No, 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 no. Yeah. Producer Heather, what's happening with you? I'm actually going through this like right now. I just got a text message from my friend Patrick inviting me to a New Year's Eve party for his work. And I don't really want to go, but I'm afraid he's going to be mad at me if I say no. Just say no. 
that see, this is something that we're all going through. And you love Patrick. I know that. I mean, he makes fun of you a lot, and like you're the butt <laughs> of his jokes. Friends do. Yeah, but uh, gee, I wonder why you wouldn't want to be around that all the time. <laughs> but you're afraid that because you care about what people think about you. Yeah, and I'm that type of person that will say yes to all these things just because I feel bad for saying no. I'll tell you what. Would you be willing to do an experiment and and put this experiment to the test? Could you send him a little voicemail today saying that you're going to decline the invitation, like a hard no, and let's see how he responds? Yeah, I could do that. All right, great. So this time tomorrow, we're going to hear this in action. We're experimenting with Heather, who's a willing participant. We're going to see what her dear friend Patrick says in response to her rejection to the party that she got invited to. Thank you for turning on the TJ Show. And look at that freedom. We can all say no. Say it with me. One, two, three. No! no! Jabo, you got a message from your husband, Archie. Yes. He's active in the U.S. military. We love him. He was thinking about something that I had never thought about. Apparently, he saw a TikTok video and changed his whole view on the relationship we have with our pets. Mm-hmm. And this is such a great point. I never thought of this. Hey, babe, I'm at home... Uh, I seen this TikTok where this guy was like saying that <laughs> he had his dog for eight years and he realized he never told his dog his name. Have you ever thought about that? No, that not once. We've had these pets in our home for such a long period of time. I know my Luna, Labrador Retriever, she's almost 11 years old. I have never introduced myself to her. Yeah, my cat Apollo, he's been on God's green earth for 16 years and I've never introduced myself either. This is really sad. Mm -hmm. So I told Sky my name. So he just introduced himself to your dog, Sky. And she was surprised. She was like, oh, does Apollo know your name? Holla at me, let me know. Talk to you later. Bye, love you. What are you doing, Sky? You know your mommy's name? This has also been an argument in our family because I, so I, I do know that my dog Luna she knows that I'm Dada. Okay, so because, your wife just refers to you as Dada yes. when she's talking to her. And so she would say, go get Dada. And she's been upset with me that I never trained Luna to go get Mama. Because Luna doesn't know who Mama is, but she knows me as Dada. However, I didn't introduce myself and she doesn't know my actual name. So does your dog Luna know your wife's actual name? No. No, doesn't know Jess at all. Just sees her. <laughs> just sees her. Now that I think about it, She's yeah. Just living in a house with a stranger. Right. And so you did the right thing. You introduced yourself to your cat Apollo yesterday, and we get the honor of listening into this. Hey, Apollo. There's something I need to tell you. I've been keeping it from you for the last 16 years. You hear Apollo? He's purring. There. He's happy about whatever's coming. Mm-hmm. As long as you've been on God's green earth, my friends call me J-Bo. I realized I never introduced myself to you. I kind of just took you off the streets and gave you a home, fed you, and never told you my name. You, you don't care. You just walked away from me. Oh, come on. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't, <laughs> That's, a like, cat. That's nice. Where's my treat? Where's my food? <laughs> These cats have catitude. <laughs> yeah, they do. He probably wasn't even upset about it, but as soon as you brought it up, he's like, oh, great. Yeah, right. Real nice owner you are. <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to do that today to my dog, Luna. I don't know what the results are going to be. You I, introduce yourself. Do you feel better that you did that? I do. I feel like I've cleared the air. and I feel better about myself because I realize, like, man, he, he's living in a house with a stranger. Like, yeah, what kind right. of person am I? Kenny, any animals in your life? My parents have a dog and a cat, and my brother has a dog. Serious question. Have you ever introduced yourself to these animals? No, never even thought to do it. Right. Yeah. Your brother has a French bulldog named what? Smooch. Smooch. <laughs> That's Smooch <laughs> snoring. <laughs> Captured for all of us 
to hear. I mean, they literally just stole Smooch from his family. And you don't even have the you don't even have the respect to introduce yourselves. Oh, poor baby. Well, Sm- good sleep. Smooch's mom and dad often refer to me as Uncle Kenny. Oh, okay. So they did it. I didn't introduce myself, but they I've been introduced on their behalf. My guess is he's dreaming about Uncle Kenny right now. Because <laughs> he knows your name enough yeah. to dream about it. This is the TJ Show. Just something to think about. If you haven't done it, you might want to get on that. I know I am. What a cool story. If you're a teacher, you're going to love this. Our camera guy, Josh, he used to be a teacher. And you had a lot of teachers and guidance counselors influence you. Mm-hmm. And they're a part of why you're standing where you are today. For sure. And you had one of those moments that we just, we love when this happens. You ran into one of your guidance counselors from when you were a kid. Right. And what did you tell her? Because you wanted to talk to her. There was something that happened way back when I was a senior in high school that I really appreciated that she did for me. I got accepted to a community college and all of my friends were going away to these big universities. Well, in our high school, there was this wall where you would get your picture up there with what college you were going to attend. Mm. And I was ashamed that I was going to a community college. Because Wait, of- Why? Because I couldn't afford the big university. Like mm. that was that was just out of my reach. Um, and so I decided just to go to community college, which also is in my town. So that was even less appealing. The big dark secret is most people can't afford mm-hmm. those big fancy schools. Yeah. Right. And that's normal. Right. And a lot of people who can't afford them still somehow find a way to go. Yep. And then they look back on their life 20 years later and they're still paying off those loans. Yes. So, but as, as a kid, it's really hard to be like, oh, well, everyone else is doing this or right. everyone else has more money. I'm going to have to be the one to go to the, quote, community college, which oftentimes are armed with some of the best teachers you could imagine. Yeah. Well, this counselor came up to me at one point because I hadn't turned in an acceptance letter. And she said, are you going to college? And I said, yeah. And she was like, well, where are you going to go? And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to the community college down the road. And she's like, that's so great. I'm going to put you up on the wall. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, please don't do that. Like, please mm. don't put me up on the wall. You're like, why in the world would you not want to? I was like, I, I just all my friends are going to these big colleges, and it's kind of embarrassing just to put that community college. It's like in our hometown, right up on the wall. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nonsense. That is crazy. You should be proud. I'm proud. And she printed out my picture anyway and threw it right up there, right up in front. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did it make you feel better about your choice to go to community college when she just encouraged you? Absolutely. And she made a great point and she said, no one's put that college up there and I bet there's a ton of people going and they might also feel the same way. So if you put it up there and after she put my picture up there, I saw a lot more of those people wow. going Look to the same you, college. And, yeah. Well, it was all her. And and I it just it really made me happy and helped me like, you know, further justify to myself that I was doing the thing that I thought was best at the time. Well, this fake thing that people were afraid of, which did, did any of your friends make fun of you for it? No, not one. Yeah, so nope. this was all made up, yep. a story that all of us can create in our heads. Like, what is that person going to think? Mm-hmm. Or what right. is that person going to think? And here, this guidance counselor, who just made a bold move, right. totally shifted the atmosphere, not only in your life, but the whole school. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm going there too. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. I got it's accepted like the whole to- squad is walking down the hall together <laughs> celebrating. Yeah, community college, That's right. right. No, I, I think that's awesome, Josh. And so when you saw her, you got to share that with her. I did. I, I never shared how much I appreciated that. 
and I don't think I fully realized how much I appreciated it until I was out of high school. And so it was just such a great experience to be able to see her and let her know, like, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but this was a really big deal to me. And this really changed the trajectory of Mm. how I thought about myself. Did she start crying? She didn't cry. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Did you cry? (laughs) I held it back. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, there you go. And look, you're here and uh, you're great news. Glad you got into community college. Me too. I'm a little late on the congratulatory (laughs) note. That's okay. I'll take (laughs) it. Never too late to say it. This is the TJ Show. This is the TJ Show. Our news, it sounds a whole lot different around here. Our producer, Kenny, he reads through every story he can find, and then he brings us the most interesting ones. Kenny, what's happening on the planet today? Back and forth we go. You may remember us reporting on this clause that appeared in the public version of Tesla's motor vehicle order agreement. It was known as the Cybertruck-only clause, and it stipulated that Tesla could sue you for $50,000 or more if you were to resell your Cybertruck within the first year of ownership. I mean, I I guess I could see, maybe this is nothing to do with why they would do it, but you could see how, like with concert tickets, a much-wanted concert ticket goes on sale, and the people who have the money hoard these tickets and then resell them for a lot more money. Could it be to protect against that? You get a bunch of people to get this first one-of-a-kind truck, and they go, well, if you're going to do that, then you're going to get sued. Yeah, I think you're on to it there. And apparently, this isn't unprecedented for exclusive high-end vehicles. Um, But the public version of the contract came out, got a lot of attention. Then Tesla reportedly deleted that clause from the contract. But now, people who ordered the limited launch edition Foundation Series Cybertruck say the order agreement they received from Tesla has the clause added back in. So it was there, it was gone, now it's back. Mm, Little okey-doke. Yeah, trying to slide something under the rug without you seeing it. This is one of these things, though, that doesn't affect the majority of the population. And I wonder why it gets so much attention in the news. I think it's because it it sounds ridiculous that a company that is one of, if not the most valuable business in the world right now is being petty, saying they'll sue you for $50,000 if you decide to resell the truck within a year. Story continues to flip-flop back and forth. We'll follow along for no other reason other than it's interesting. Yeah. Kenny, what else is happening? For the longest time, Netflix was very secretive about its streaming statistics. That's changed. According to Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos, releasing viewing stats creates a better environment for Netflix and its content partners. You may remember during the actors and writers strikes, that was one of the stipulations. They wanted to see the streaming stats Mm. because if a show is streamed a lot, they believe they should get you know, the back end of that. Absolutely Mm -hmm. they should. And that's how media has been done forever. It's rated and you decide whether or not certain shows stay or go, and they know that. And so, you know, if you keep a show around and you don't mention why, you could assume, well, it's probably because they're making a lot of money off <laughs> right. of it. Right, and the actors should reap the benefits of that. Absolutely. And the you, writers and yeah. everybody involved. You'd think that would be obvious. To me, that's a much larger story than the Tesla story. <laughs> well, for years, Netflix kept all of this under wraps, but now they are being more transparent. They released their biggest data dump to date. Uh, The viewing numbers for 18,000-plus titles, the most watched show is The Night Agent, a thriller series with (laughs) 812.1 million hours of viewing. I have never heard of it either. Really, Apparently, it's really good, but we haven't seen it. (laughs) 
Isn't that funny that I, by what word of mouth and no big reports that it's the number one show? It's the number one show. It's the number one show. Number two was season two of Ginny and Georgia, another show that I haven't seen, a drama series. Same. 665.1 million hours. Wow. Number three, a Korean drama called The Glory came in with 622.8 million hours. And it wasn't until the number four spot, Wednesday, season one. That was number four, 507.7 million hours. That's the only show on the list that I've seen. Fascinating that we haven't heard of these shows. I'll have to check them out. Kenny, what else do you have? Google revealed its year in search for 2023. This is an annual list of the year's top trending searches. It is determined by searches that prompted the most trending queries or had the highest spike in traffic over a sustained period in 2023 as compared to 2022. If you had to guess who the most search person was of 2023, who would it be? Mm. My natural instinct says Taylor Swift. However, I'm going to guess it's probably going to be somebody like Messi or one of these really big sports stories. I would think Travis Kelsey because once people found out that Taylor Swift was dating Travis Kelsey, the internet blew up. Mm. Okay, so Taylor Swift related. Okay, so I'm looking specifically at the searches in the United States. Taylor Swift is not even in the top 10. What? And I Travis. Travis is number three. Oh, okay. as a what? matter of fact, hey, hey, it doesn't make sense. Hey, hey. So you're onto something. Guess. So people are surprised not to see Taylor Swift. And Deadline is speculating that everyone already knows who she is, so there was no need to search for her. Mm. And if you remember, I just told you that the idea of making it to this list had to do with a comparison between searches in 2022 versus 2023. So yeah. I imagine Taylor was widely searched for in 2022. Kenny, it all sounds horribly complicated. <laughs> Damar Hamlin was number one on the list, mm. the Buffalo Bills player who suffered cardiac arrest mm. in the middle of a game in January earlier this year. Jeremy Renner, the actor who had that accident with a snowplow, was number two, Travis Kelsey, number three. Wow. See, I guess sports, I guess I was onto something. Does it matter? No. No. <laughs> Not at all. No, no. Kenny, what else do you have? A family in upstate New York set the Guinness World Record for most lights on a residential property back in 2012 with 346,283 Christmas lights. Oh my goodness. That light bill must be crazy. Yeah, there's a house like that in our neighborhood. And I want to go in front of it just to take a picture because it does look like a winter wonderland. But it just seems like do they know what they're doing with the electricity? Like, is there any risk there that a wire could right? singe or yeah, something? It's a true. lot of power. Well, again, that was the world record back in 2012. They've oh. really outdone themselves this year. Their home now has 720,436 oh. lights. For, who has the patience to put all that stuff up? The patience and the time. Someone else in the neighborhood. I'll go see their house. <laughs> Don't well, give my kids any ideas. The family is thrilled, and the people who come from far and wide are, are thrilled to see this display of holiday spirit. But you know who's not happy? <laughs> their neighbors. A mm, little bright, hard to go to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, that would be well, me. Not to mention all the traffic. Like I said, people are coming from far and wide just to see this Guinness World Record breaking display. Wow. It's causing traffic. You have people involved in town government saying they're concerned that emergency vehicles might not be able to get through the roadways with all the traffic that it's happening. There's one guy who's running for town council on the pure platform of trying to rein this in. <laughs> 
We are going to shut off the lights. Need I say more? He's a smart guy. That's the campaign. According mm-hmm. to the town supervisor, there's no local ordinances giving the town the power to stop this annual display, and officials have no current plans to do anything about it. As this person said, what are you going to do? Be the one to get rid of Santa? (laughs) The family says, if you bring joy and happiness to 50,000 plus people and you have 10 or 20 who don't like you, that's a fair trade-off. So... They're they're keeping it That's up a and win, running. Man. Sure, they're all glad they moved to that block. <laughs> you know, property that, value has decreased. Yeah, so everyone's selling their house in this. <laughs> oh, all right, it's a great deal. They sell it in January. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny, what else do you have? This is considered a national embarrassment in England. The British Museum of London just received an independent review commissioned by their board of trustees, and now they're ordered to keep a comprehensive registry of all items in their collection after it was discovered 1,500 objects have been stolen over recent years. 1,500? Yeah. What kind of objects? A lot of these items were unregistered, although it appears that their Rome and Greece sections of the museum, there were unregistered gems and jewelries. That seems to be the target of the theft. That sounds oddly easy. 1,500. And they were unregistered? Was there a reason for it to be unregistered? No reason. I mean, it, that, that's the problem here, and that's why people are so upset about this, is that they just didn't keep good records of what they had in the building. They have 8 million historical artifacts in their oh. collection. Oh. Now, I guess this is a small percentage. Yeah, they could spare a couple, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another 500 items have been classified as damaged or missing. A senior member of the museum staff was fired over this, and a police investigation is currently underway. So far, 351 items have been returned to the museum and more than 300 items have at least been identified because they didn't even know what was missing. I'm impressed they found 300 of them. (laughs) No, seriously. It's hard to find my car keys sometimes. (laughs) Kenny, thank you for keeping us somewhat informed. That's what's happening. 